greetings. It's good to have you all here in person. To those of you joining us online, I want to greet you all so special and pray that God blesses you and as you participate via that media. Um, have you ever had a conversation with somebody, uh, maybe more like a debate? Uh, maybe you have a grand idea and you're talking with a friend or an associate and that friend might say to you at some point, that'll never work in the real world. Anybody ever have? I have a lot of ideas that I get told, that'll never work in the real world. And how about any of you? Have you ever had that happen to you? I, I, frequently when I've been talking with people about Christianity, at some point some well-intentioned person says, yeah, but in the real world, as if the Christian principles and truths that we're talking about somehow don't apply to our real lives. We're going to get to Galatians chapter 6 today in our series from Galatians called Building Blocks of Faith. And what we're going to see the Apostle Paul do for us is tell us how the spirit-filled, spirit-led person actually can do real life. That it's not some pie-in-the-sky kind of thing that it, or some kind of mystic kind of thing to be spirit-filled and spirit-led. Rather, it's very practical and there's a lot of application to it. So I'm excited to get into this message today and share my heart with you for a few moments from Galatians 6. But I want you to open your hearts up and receive what God's going to share with you today because our faith is applicable to the real world. Amen? So here's our big thought for the message. You are to be spirit-led in real life. You are to be spirit-led in real life. Now, Paul has shared in Galatians chapter 5 that the follower of Jesus Christ is to be a spirit-filled person and thus spirit-led and that they're supposed to have these indicators in their lives that they've been filled with the, with the Holy Spirit that we call fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what should pour out of our lives because we're spirit-filled is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And we're told in Galatians 5 that our sinful nature has been crucified and we're to be people who are in step walking in harmony with the guidance and leading of the person of the Holy Spirit. The tendency that we have, friends, is this. We tend to mystify being spirit-filled and we kind of make it this thing that it's not, uh, and we think it doesn't really apply to me doing everyday life. Yes, it does. and applies tremendously to the how, the how and the why you do your daily life. So are you ready for some down-to-earth, down-to-earth application of what it means to be spirit-filled and spirit-led? Are you ready for that? Can somebody say yes? Yeah, someone said yes. Say it again. At home, are you ready for this? I'm going to get to you online, people. You've got to engage with me. So I want you to be ready for this and what I'm about to read to you. So I'm going to begin by reading Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5. Listen to this. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, by the way, if you're telling someone, we're going to be living by the Holy Spirit, is this how you would start that application? Yeah, think about that. If someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person how? Say it. Gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. So this scripture begins by telling us, here's some down-the-earth applications of what it means to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led follower of Jesus Christ. Let me give you point one. 
You, as a spirit-led follower, are to restore a brother or sister who has sinned. I was reading some commentary on this section of the Bible, and all commentary is is some author's thoughts on what this scripture means and implies, and they came across one I thought was worth sharing with you. Listen to what this commentator said. If we walk by the Spirit, we should love one another more. And if we love one another more, we should bear one another's burdens. And if we bore one another's burdens, we would not shrink from seeking to restore a brother or sister who has fallen into sin. Further, if we obeyed this apostolic instruction as we should, much unkind gossip would be avoided, some serious backsliding prevented, the good of the church advanced, and the name of Jesus Christ glorified. I love what he said there. It's a good summary, actually, of the book of Galatians. There are a couple of extremes to avoid when dealing with a sinful situation, okay? One is this. Don't overlook it. That's what we Midwesterners tend to do, amen? Because we're Midwestern nice. So we think avoidance of conflict is the ultimate good thing we ought to do. When it comes to knowing somebody, and you love this person, and you're in a relationship with them, and they're doing something that's wrong, don't overlook it. That is not love. Uh, It's something else. I could get into what I think it is, but that doesn't matter. It's not love, because love always has the eternal well-being of the other person at the foremost of its thinking. So we never just give up on somebody because they're doing something questionable. Take a risk, talk with them, do so prayerfully with the right heart attitude of gentleness. Second thing, second extreme, don't do this. Don't make it a public spectacle. Don't talk to a bunch of people about it. Don't overexpose it. That does no good for anyone. Instead, go with gentleness to restore. See, as a Christ follower, we're called to this ministry of restoration. We're part of God's ultimate plan to be building the body of Christ. So we need to understand that we are called as spirit-led people then to be part of restoration when somebody else is having a problem. So let me talk about how to restore. There are a couple aspects to it. One is this, you're to restore with gentleness. That's incredibly, incredibly important. The word gentleness used here in Galatians 6 from the Greek original manuscript of the New Testament, it's the exact same word as the word gentleness used in the listing of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So here you have this Galatians 5 revelation that if we are walking in Christ, filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, that we should have as a fruit of the Spirit gentleness. Here you go. Here's an application. You who are filled with the Spirit and are gentle in nature, you now restore a person who has sinned, but you do so in that gentleness. I love the word restore here. It is a picture worth painting. I want you to hear this and I want you to tune in what I'm going to share with you. That word restore is translated from the original Greek again from a word that means setting a broken bone. So it's saying you who are, you know, spirit-led, you're to set the broken bone of the one who has sinned with gentleness. You ever been around somebody that has broken a bone? Ever been in close proximity? I've had the awesome experience of that happening several times. And I mean that a little sarcastically. Fortunately, it's never been me. I remember in in high school, we had this really cool gym teacher, and he always combined different sports to make a new sport. So we were playing what he called soccer basketball. 
So you could dribble it, you could kick it, you could throw it, whatever, you know, it was indoor kind of, and it was a really fun game. Well, we had several soccer players that were uh, involved with this particular uh, game we were playing uh, on this fired period. And I remember one of the guys, he went up and he was a good soccer player. And he went up, they really, you know, the ball was there and he was going to kick that thing hard. And right at that moment, a girl stepped in front of him. And he came through with the full force of that kick, caught her with the top of his foot right here below the knee and just snapped both bones. And I heard it crunch. You know why I heard it? Because she was there and I was right here. And it just crunched. And right away, the gym teacher ran over. Norby, what'd you do? Nothing. I stood back. I didn't do that. He did it. You know, because that's what you do as a Christ follower, right? You blame somebody else immediately. I, I had nothing to do. But she was down on that floor and she was a howling and she was in so much pain. And you know what we did? We handled her with gentleness. Why? She had a broken bone. Clean through, both of them. There's no way you're going to say, you know what? If you're tough, you would just get through this. (laughs) Just walk it off, rub some dirt on it, whatever, right? You'll be fine. You know, if it was me, I wouldn't be howling like that. You know, we don't do that. She had a broken bone, right? It needed to be mended. She needed to be handled gently. And that's the picture that Paul is painting for you and I who are spirit-filled, spirit-led followers. When we see a brother or sister that's in sin, we go to them realizing they need that thing set. They need it mended. They need us to interact with them uh, with gentleness. So that's the picture. Isn't that a cool picture or what? That's the ministry of restoration that you and I are called to. Couple things to avoid while we do this. As you restore, avoid the tendencies of justification or judging. Or judging. See, if the person you're trying to help is a good friend of yours, you know what you're going to tend to do? You're going to tend to rationalize and justify why this isn't that big a deal. Because you love them. Amen? And you tend to overlook it. But if you really have their eternal well-being in mind, if you really love them in the love of Jesus Christ, you'll know they need that bone set. Amen? The other extreme to avoid is this when it comes to this, this uh, you know, how, how tendency is, and that's judging. We, we just, ah. We can't. Judge, we can't be self-righteous. Paul warns us, watch out, watch out. The same thing will grip you. If we come at this kind of thing haughty and self-righteous, then guess what? We're in sin. Then we need our bone set, amen? And we fall right into a trap that we need to avoid. So we're done with verse one. (laughs) We're ready to move on here. There's a lot in in Galatians 6, but it's gonna go fast now. So here's point two. You as a spirit-led follower, you as a spirit-led follower are to share the burdens of others. As a Jesus follower, you're to genuinely be concerned about others, and this means that you will share in their burdens that they cannot handle. Now, oftentimes people are overwhelmed with a burden. It might be a temptation they just can't deal with. Oftentimes it's an illness or a disease that's just incapacitating them. Sometimes it's a relational problem, a marital problem, a problem with a son or a daughter, and that just it's too much for that person and it's just overwhelming them and they're short-circuiting. It could be discouragement. It could be something as, as common as depression. A lot of people are having a lot of isolation depression right now. You realize that, right? It's a big problem in our country. When I was in high school, I'm back to telling some of my high school stories, which are a long time ago for me personally, but I play defensive end. And so part of my job as a defensive end 
was when they would do sweeps, I would take out the lead blockers, right? So the linebacker could have all the fun of tackling the running back. And I remember this one time a, a sweep came my direction and my elbow got between the two uh, guys leading the sweep and they crunched down helmet and helmet on this right elbow of mine. And I, it just, I went down. I was, it was, I was so hurt Even instantly. I thought, oh boy, I hurt that. I could hardly use my arm for about a month. It was just so screwed up. So, you know, this is 1973. And back then, we didn't do anything medical for anybody. <laughs> Coach said, it's not bad. I mean, my, by the end of the day, I was black and blue all the way down to my wrist. It turned yellow. You know that nice yellow hue you get, you know, when you really, really bruise something deeply. And so I wore a soft cast. And it played the rest of the season, of course, right? Because we were idiotic back then. And didn't think about any long-term damage, which it did do some. And so I had this arm in a soft cast, kind of wrapped in this thing, taped around me. You know what I mean? So I played football with one arm. Well, have you ever tried to play football with one arm? That's hard. And I remember I had a really good friend. His name was Judd Sather. He was a man of a man at that point already. He was a, a young man in a big man's body. He was 240 pounds as a sophomore in high school. And he was strong, strong as a horse. A very Christian man. He was a very, very outgoing uh, Jesus follower. I remember that about Judd. And Judd said to me, because Judd and I had become really good friends, he said, I'll protect your right side. He always played next to me. He said, I'll protect your right side. Nobody will get to that arm. Because I couldn't use it anyway. So this big, I was, by the way, about 150 pounds wet. You know what I mean? I mean, it was like Judd weighed like 90 pounds more than me already. I knew he had a football future. I did not, which was okay with me at that point. So Judd protected me the rest of that season. He would take down two people. He was a, he was a monster, right? And, and he said, I'm not going to let them hurt you. Because I played basketball. He knew that basketball was my first love. And guess which arm was hurt? The arm you shoot with, Right? And so I just remember Judd doing that for me. And when I look at this scripture that we just read, when it says bear one another's burdens, you know what I think of? Be Judd Sather's. When you see someone hurting and they're overwhelmed by temptation or they're overwhelmed by an illness or they're overwhelmed because they're just so depressed, you come alongside them and said, I'll be here for you. I'll protect you. I'll lift you up. I'll be that one that helps you uh, carry that load. And so here's a reflection thought for you. I want you to consider this. Whose burden is God calling you to share right now? What person, what neighbor, what relative is God saying, that person needs you to come alongside them, give them words of encouragement, pray for them, and share the load that they're carrying that's overwhelming them right now. It's often tempting to think, God, I don't get anyone to help me. Start by helping somebody else. And I'll tell you why that matters in a moment here because that's where Galatians takes us. Start by helping somebody else and that'll turn around and be a help to you. And when we do this kind of thing, we're told here something wonderful in this Galatians scripture that we fulfill the law of Christ. Well, we got to know what the law of Christ is. It's, it's from uh, John chapter 13, verse 34. The law of Christ is simply this. Um, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So when we restore in gentleness, when we carry one another's burdens, guess what? Apostle Paul says, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. You're loving as God has told you to love. This is real world stuff. Amen? It works in the real world. Christianity works out there. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing because it really honestly does work. So I want to give you a point of clarification in case any of you are student caught something here. If you read Galatians 6, 
carefully these first few verses, you'll notice that it says here in verse 2, we're to carry one another's burden. That implies an overwhelming burden that someone can't handle. But then it gets on to verse 5 and it says, you carry your own load. Those are not contradictory thoughts. They're complementary thoughts. And here's what what verse 5 is saying to us, that each one of us who are Christ followers, we have an individual calling, an individual ministry that we're supposed to carry. It's like one one, uh, commentary I read said, it's like a backpack designed for us that's God's toolkit. And we're supposed to put that on, right? And we're supposed to carry that load. We're supposed to carry that ministry. And we're supposed to do our part in the body of Christ of ministering to other people because God has equipped us to do that and called us to do it. It's this backpack load that we're supposed to carry. And every one of us is supposed to visualize, I have a role in the ministry that I'm called to, to carry in the body of Jesus Christ. And I've got to put my backpack on. I've got to do my part. Amen? And that's what that scripture is saying. So they're not contradictory scriptures. They're complementary scriptures. One is actually the equipping to do the other. All right? So I just want to clarify that for you because I don't know about you, but when I read that, I go, hmm, I know it can't be contradictory, but what does, they, what does each one of these things mean? So, let's go back to Galatians 6. I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. Now it gets really good, really good. Listen to this. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. We know this, right? This is famous scripture. Listen, every one of these I'm going to read to you now is really, really well-known scripture. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Hear this now. This is another one that's really well-known. I, I quote this all the time. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Here's another one, another real famous scripture from Galatians. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Man, this is like overloading me with famous quotes that are always quoted from the Bible. They're right here, bing, 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 bing. But here's how I'd summarize it, and this is point three if you're taking notes. You as a spirit-led follower are to do good to all people, especially to those who are part of the family of God. Amen, right? You're to do good. Now, there's an obvious point that the Apostle Paul's making here. I'm just going to state the obvious point. It starts out by saying, you are to support your church, basically. And what it means here, financially, it just means that. You're to, you're to financially support your church. Now, the reason that uh, this is said is because elsewhere in the Bible, it says, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And so what, what Paul is saying is what you invest in here will capture your heart. So those who are giving you instruction in the church that's doing good to you, support them. And it does mean financially. That's like level one understanding of this scripture, okay? I'm not going to write that away. I'm not going to make it easy. It's what it means. So if you research it more and go into it and look into it yourself, that's exactly what that means. But it goes deeper than that. So I'm going to take us to a little bit deeper understanding here. And I want you to follow along with this really closely because this, I think, will, will change some of your view on how you do Christianity if you just listen to what I'm about to say, okay? There's a principle given here. It's a, it's a big-time principle. You reap what you sow. How many of your parents have said that to your kids? When they're fighting especially or when they're doing something, behavior that you don't want them to do, you'll say, you reap what you sow. 
It's, it's, it's one of the most well-known scriptures of the Bible. You hear it all the time. People don't realize it's from Galatians. You reap what you sow. And so what we're, we're, we're supposed to understand is this, and I'm not a prosperity teacher. I'm not saying give God a hundred bucks so you get a thousand bucks back. No, no. It, 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 it's, it's more than that. It's this idea that if we go after our Christianity with kind of a stingy heart attitude, and we're not very committed to the things of the Lord, we're not committed to serving God, we're not committed to following God, and we're kind of being stingy and kind of reserved and holding back, then God's saying, you're not going to get much from me. Amen? Because you what? You reap what you sow. And if you're stingy, you're going to get little back. And so what we're being told here is to sow generously so we can reap generously in our lives. So we're often called to sow in the material in, in things. We're often called to sow in maybe acts of service. And we're often called to sow in acts of kindness. These are small things. And God says, if you will just sow even these small things, you will reap generously over here in the spiritual world. I will bless your soul in ways that you can't imagine because you're willing to do some sowing. You're going to reap generously. But get this. Hear this now. If you reap, or if you sow, excuse me, discord, what were you going to reap? Say it. You're going to reap it. If you are sowing negativity and complaining, what are you going to reap? Come on, say it. You're going to reap that. This is a principle, man. This is a principle of the Bible. If you sow constant discontent, what are you going to reap? Yeah. Get this, all right? This isn't hard, is it? Amen. But it's so true. If I go about my life sowing words of encouragement, if I go about my life building people up, if I go about my life humble, not worrying if I get credit, what do I reap? All those things come back at me tenfold over, I think. Amen? Man, I've been discovering that in the very midst of this pandemic. If I sow peace, if I sow love and encouragement to people, God just overwhelms my soul with those things. Amen? And it's something the body of Christ is supposed to be learning. Now, so we have this principle. Now let's go to this perspective. It's based on on verse 9 of Galatians uh, 6, and I want you to read this verse out loud with me. So we're going to read Galatians 6, verse 9 out loud. Here you go. Read it out loud with me. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. So we're going to read this again because I forgot to invite the online people to read with us. So if you're at home, I want you to to stand up right now and read the scripture with us. Okay, here we go. Let's read it again. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So we live in a time where it's easy to begin to get weary in doing good. God wants us to persevere, to reap the good things because we're sowing the right things. He says, continue to sow, continue to do good, continue to do good because it'll be worth it. So here's the point. You must not become weary in well-doing for at the proper time, you're going to reap a harvest. So we got this principle. You reap what you sow. We got this perspective. We're not to go weary in well-doing because we're going to reap in due season. Now we come to what I call a possibility, what we need to embrace. And the possibility is this, that we can do good to all those around us. We're supposed to be these people that do good. Uh, We're to look for opportunities to do good. We become a possibility person because we know we, we, we reap what we sow. We know that we're not supposed to grow weary in doing that. Then we're supposed to become this possibility person. We're supposed to be in the hunt looking for good to do to others. 
because we know that's going to come back and ultimately bless us. Amen? Are you getting this kind of, this progression here that's going on? And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to practice this. I want you to practice this principle, this perspective, and this possibility. I want you to go out from here this week and do good for someone each day of the week. Every day, you have to put it on your calendar, whatever, if you're at home, every day this week, I don't care where you're at, if you're at home listening right now, if you're here in person listening right now, I want you to think this week, every day of this week, I'm going to do good to somebody. So you know what? Start this way. You'll get a kick out of this. Just open the door for somebody because nobody wants to touch anything anymore. It's an easy way to do good. So Vicki and I were going into uh, Lowe's and someone opened the door and I said, thank you. I don't have to touch the door. God bless you. Amen. Because we think that's a big deal. Uh, anyway, it is kind of a big deal. But you can just open a door. Man, you're going to be a hero for doing good to somebody. Pray for somebody. When someone shares something with you, say, you know, I'll pray for you. And do good. Give somebody a word of encouragement. Give somebody a listening ear. Do good. Every day of the week, do good. You know why? Because you're sowing what you want to reap. And you have a perspective that says, I'm looking beyond the moment. I understand, God, if I don't grow weary in well-doing, that I'm going to reap a harvest in due season. So therefore, I'm becoming this person of possibilities. How can I just take opportunities afforded me to do good? Now we're going to get to our conclusion today. And I'm going to take our conclusion from Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. It's really a conclusion to the whole book of Galatians, and it's a conclusion to our message uh, here today. Listen to this scripture uh, from the Apostle Paul. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. What counts is the what? New creation. Jesus promises you and me, I make all things new. As a new creation, Jesus is to be our consuming desire. And we are to understand he works in real life. And we understand then we're ministers of what? Restoration. We understand then that we carry one another's burdens. We understand then that we reap what we sow. And we have a perspective that we're not going to grow weary and well-doing because in due season God will grace us with, um, you know, a harvest. And then we become people of possibilities. And we go out from this place and we're on the hunt to looking for opportunities to do good. And we become this kind of a new creation. And we change culture. Do you think culture needs to see this right now? Yeah, because then they'll see basically the law of Christ at work. We're loving others as Christ loves them. I want to conclude this message with a simple demonstration. I did this years ago, so some of you might remember this, but it's worth the, the, the repeating because it prepares us for communion well, which we're going to take in just a moment. And so if you're at home, you might want to grab your communion elements if you haven't done so already. But here you've got those. If you need communion elements, by the way, when we get to that moment, just raise your hand and ushers will get you some uh, little handy-dandy, self-contained, no contact, whatever they're called. Okay, so this, this professor's doing a time study and he's trying to get his students to have the impact of this time study. He says, so imagine this vase is like your life. You have so much space and time. Uh, he says, so like most students, he was talking to the students at the time, you know, you have some major things that you, you know, are going to occupy a lot of your time. So if you're in college, what occupies a lot of your time in theory? Studying, right? In theory, I say that. Okay. 
So it's, you know, you put that rock in there first. And then he said, a lot of you are now beginning to discover that you might have some other person that's becoming very significant to you. And so you're doing a lot of dating, and especially when you date, what do you do? do you, does it consume a lot of your life? Yes. The answer is yes, guys. Seriously. Because if, if you don't have a lot of time spent dating, forget it. Don't, don't go any further with that person. It won't get any better when you get married. Amen? Some of the women should say, Amen. Yeah, anyway, so, you know, he puts his other rocket. Then he says, a lot of you are working the job, so, you know, we put that in. He just takes the time. He said, so now you're starting to kind of fill up the space of your life, right? So he goes, but there can be more things you can do. So he says, these are the smaller things. You got to eat. You got to sleep. You got to do some mundane things like the dishes, you know, and uh, all that kind of stuff. Maybe some car maintenance or whatever. So he says, so, you know, these things tend to fill up the spaces of your life, right? And so now you think your life's pretty full, right? And he goes, yeah, but there's room for more, right? So you can, you know, add, you can get creative and you can do this. And so all the students, now, by now their eyes were really lighting up as they begin to, you know, light bulbs are clicking on, right? You know, you, you're college students after all, you're bright. So, so he says to them, what does this mean to you? And all, several of the students enthusiastically say, me, 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 let me answer, you know? And so he calls on one, he says, there's always room to do more if you get creative. To which the professor said, wrong. If you don't put the main thing in first, you'll fill your life up with those things that don't matter. And you won't have room for the main things. He said, if you're going to do good time management, you're going to do the main thing first. And everything else will find its place around that. Boy, that's insightful, isn't it? So we're new creations in Jesus Christ. And Paul said that right here, right in Galatians, right? So what has to go into our life first? If you are a new creation in Christ, what's in your life? What's the big rock? Jesus Christ. You put him in there first. Boom. Everything else finds its place around Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a new creation filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the person of the Holy Spirit. That's how the Apostle Paul concludes this epistle. It's a wonderful conclusion. He's saying, when all is said and done, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised, uncircumcised, what counts is new creation. And that's where I want to end with you today. What counts is what? We're a new creation. It should set everything then. And like Galatians says, then it should order your life. And you should be a minister of restoration. You should be one who carries other people's burdens. You should know that I reap what I sow. All these things find their place in your life orders around Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do is take a moment here and end the message just saying, Jesus, I'm recommitting my life around you. We're going to do communion. We're going to order our life around him. So I want you to prepare your hearts now for communion. Again, if you're at home... I encourage you to make sure you gather your communion elements and join us in this sacred uh, uh, moment. And so what I want you to do right now is to take about 20 seconds, maybe 30, and reflect. Is Jesus Christ my main thing? Is he the rock of my being? Is he occupying the center place in my life? Is everything ordered around him? And if not, I want to encourage you to ask Christ into your heart today. If you've never done that, ask him into your heart as Savior. And I'm talking about a lordship thing here now. Once Christ is in there as Savior, then our lives need to order around him. That's the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what, what, what he's saying, what Paul's saying here. You're a new creation. Everything in your life is ordered around him. If that's not your case, then today, as you reflect, say, Jesus, I want to be under your lordship. I want you to be the main thing in my life. Now, if you need some prayer on this later on, you can go after service out to our chapel there, and someone will gladly pray with you, and they'll do it at a distance. 
Whatever you're comfortable, we do that distancing thing. By the way, you know our numbers are going up in Brookings, right? Are you following that at all, any of you? So I want to encourage you, be smart. Maintain social distancing. I know it's tiring. But it, it, it's probably more important to do that now than it was three months ago, four months ago when we didn't have any cases. So just, just be smart. Be, be, don't just get mad at everything and just say, I'm not doing this anymore. Unless you want to get the disease and be one of the, you know, you know herd immunity people, that's fine. But, you know, just be smart, okay? Uh, at any rate, that's a tangent I didn't even mean get on. But take about 30 seconds here and just consider, is this you? Is Jesus your rock? And then I'll get back to you.